G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. I would like to introduce my amazing friend, Christy Rayner. Christy and I go a long way back. Got a few stories to tell. Um, But she is one of the most generous people and most hospitable people you will ever come across in your life. I, I feel warm and welcome at all times in Christy's presence. Has anybody felt the way that I feel with Christy Rayner? Mm-hmm. We bless you today, Christy. Thank you for your ministry, for your service. We pray the Lord's anointing over your, your message today. Amen. Thanks, Dave and everyone. It's good to be here. Welcome again. Um, I was just thinking as we were singing that song and reflecting Laura and I were having a bit of a conversation this afternoon about creation. I think it was today or yesterday. But, like, do you ever wonder... I often think, if I was God, do you ever question God and think, why don't you do it this way and not, like, what are you thinking? Anyone? (laughs) Like, if I was... Why doesn't he make himself more obvious, right? Like, sometimes I feel that frustration of, like, God, like, you're real. Like, why don't you make yourself more obvious? Like... It's really, when you think about it, it's really intriguing. And I've, I've heard, I've heard it, it said that God makes himself known enough so that anyone that wants to find him will and hidden enough that anyone that wants to ignore him can. And that's pretty mind-blowing. And I think what that says to me is, I mean, his ways are higher than our ways, Right? The way he thinks and and what he's looking for is quite different to the way we think and what we're looking for, you know, because if he was looking for just everyone to bow down and worship him and do whatever he said all the time, like he could do that. He could accomplish that. But what he's looking for and what he's wanting is people that willingly choose to look for him, that choose to find him in a world of limitless options of how we can spend our time and what we can, for there to be some amongst those people that actually go, you know what? I just want to find out more about the creator. I just want to like lean into what he's doing. I just want to zero in on him. Like that's what he's looking for because, you know, he free will. And I'm sure you've maybe contemplated free will, If you've been a Christian for a little while, the idea of freedom is so crucial to the gospel. And, you know, we don't, like the way God operates the world, you know, it's not what you would do if you're a parent, right? Like you don't allow that much freedom. You don't allow, not saying God's irresponsible, but it's like sometimes I wonder, like, no, I wouldn't, I couldn't do what he does. I couldn't allow people to have the freedom to do the things they do, like the world is a messed up place, right? And you wouldn't just let that happen. For God to let the things happen in the world that he seems to allow, I don't think, I think there's a lot of things that happen that God doesn't want to happen. 
in the world, but like because there's something higher, there's a higher value that he's after that can't be accomplished if he controlled everyone. And that is real love and relationship with people. If he made himself so obvious that everyone could see him and knew who he was, there would really be no cho- real choice left to choose or reject God. It would be, you know, it, be, it would take, it would rob us of that freedom. It would rob us of that opportunity to choose him, to discover and to seek him out. And obviously, we don't fully comprehend the power and the value of that to the degree that it's worth that much to God that he's willing, that the pain and the suffering that does come is actually worth that price. Because if it wasn't, he wouldn't have let it happen, right? Like, so the power and the beauty of when things go right, when people do seek God, that choose to love him, choose to draw near to him, to respond to him, the power and beauty of that happening even if it ended up being, say, whatever the percentage of people that end up doing that, choosing that, and say it's a quarter. If we went by the parable of the sower, a quarter of people choose that, the three quarters that don't. The power and the beauty of a quarter doing it is so powerful. You cannot measure that, and it's worth it. It's worth the cost. And, you know, it says... In Ephesians, like, how high, how wide, how deep is the love of God? Like, we can't comprehend his love. And, you know, he wants us to actually experience his love. And we can't fully experience that love if he takes our choices away. But, like, what an uh, incredible, like, responsibility and privilege that God is so generous with us. That he graces us. He gives us the dignity of choice. The dignity of rejecting him. You know, I've heard it said, like, with our, the, breath, the breath that has been given us by our creator, we can choose to reject him or to curse him. But that's how generous our God is, that he will give breath to people that reject him. He gives, you know, he ra- it rains on the just and the unjust. You know, he, he's not petty. You know, he's generous, he's kind, he's gracious. And it says God's goodness draws people to repentance and you know, you hope that people look and see and just go, oh, there must be more to this life. If they want to know, if they seek, they will find. If they knock, the door will be opened. He's not hard to find when we seek him, but he's hidden enough that we can ignore him. We can make our life about something else and find degrees of satisfaction in that. But, like, we'd be missing out on the true purpose of what we've been created for and like to we get the privilege of using our life to choose him and it's not only significant for us when we do that it's actually meaningful to God when someone chooses him it's not just like oh yeah he recognize he knows we have a thousand choices He knows a million distractions and uh, uh, so many things pull at us, draw us, pleasures, wealth, fame, you know, other relationships. There's so many things that pull on us, powerful draw cards. And so when someone chooses, God, no, I don't want any of that. I just want to know who I am. Why am I here? Who made me? What's this all about? I want to give my life to that. 
You know, God is the creator. He made the world. So it's really what he thinks that matters. It's really he decides what a valuable life looks like. He decides what's a fruitful life. He determines that because he set up the world. It's his creation. We are the creator. We are the creation. He's the creator. Um, It's his creation and we're part of it. And we're invited in uh, to what he's doing. But yet, he, yeah, like I said, he still gives us the freedom to choose to ignore him completely, to make our life revolve around something totally other. And he will allow that for a time. Um, and he gives us time, time to choose, to make choices, to consider the options. And last week, I did a first part in this message on, we looked at the parable of the sower and the different kinds of soil. And what does, what does it look like to have good soil, like a soft heart, able to hear and receive? And just, you know, the parables are a perfect example of God making himself available but hidden, right? It's like, here's a story. It's like, oh, a bit confused. Oh, what is it? I can ignore it and go on if I'm a bit confused. But if I want to lean in and find out more like the disciples, I can go, Jesus, what did that mean? And he'll explain it to me. He's not trying to hide from people that want to hear. And it's actually God's grace to keep some of it hidden because it says the more knowledge we have, the more we're judged on that. Like the more we see and know of God and choose to reject him, it's kind of like a greater weight on us for doing that. And so it's actually God's mercy to limit what we can see and know of him if we're not going to respond to it. We're not going to give ourselves to him. It's better that we know less. Um, And, you know, it says those who have more will be given. You know, the asking you will receive. You lean in, you'll find out more. But he's keeping it hidden from those that don't really want to know. And, you know, in terms of why doesn't God make himself more obvious? And we believe in miracles here and we pray and seek to see miracles happen. But miracles don't actually change usually often don't actually change people's hearts about God like you think that it will you think if you see a miracle if you see something totally hands down miraculous happen that's going to be convincing and maybe for some it would if their hearts are already soft but that's not the game changer because I have literally seen people witness a miracle and like not see it right like or forget it and and shut their mind off to it because it's like something else resists. And like the Pharisees, they saw blind men healed. And they didn't give praise to God. They just got angry and offended at Jesus and went and killed him. Like that was their response to a miracle. And that's what I was like, woe to you Pharisees. Like there was God incarnate doing the most miraculous things a generation had ever seen. And all they saw was red. Like To see a miracle happen and all you're thinking is, oh, I hate this guy, I want to kill him. Like, how hard does your heart have to be to respond that way? Miracles don't convince people because I think if they did, God would probably, they would probably be a lot more common. But it's like the heart. He's trying to get our hearts and our hearts are not, they're actually convinced by something other and that's what I think Jesus is going where he's inviting us into come and know me you know a miracle points to me but I'm inviting you to know me personally to have a connection to have a relationship with me um that's 
you know, and if our hearts are soft to that, we'll see a miracle and be even more in awe of God, even more in love with him, even more filled with faith. But it's like, that's not the game changer. And, you know, how our hearts, how do we respond to the small things that happen, you know? Like, it all prepares our hearts. Like, do we see God in the little miracles that happen every day, the little celebrations, the little wonders? Are we responsive to him in that? Like, you kind of have to learn to see the things that God's doing. And and then you see them more and more. And, you know, I think that leads to a life of more breakthrough and miracles that happen. But it's like, don't wait for the big things to be convinced. Um, well, I said last week, you know, the key things to having a soft heart or good soil for God's word is humility and faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's believing him. And humility is recognizing that, like I just was saying, you know, we're the creation. He's the creator. We know our place before God. We're not trying to be God. We recognize he's the one in charge. I'm in submission to him. I'm willing to humble myself and do what he's saying because he's God. I'm not. We know our position. And it sounds obvious, but it's just simply not obvious. There's not, you know... We want to be in charge. We want to make the calls. We want to do what we want to do. And it's hum- humility is yielding to what God wants and what he says and being willing to change our mind when we recognize we're out of line with what he's saying. It says he gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. You know, he opposed the Pharisees. They were proud. They were hard-hearted. He, like, basically cursed them. Like, who? you don't want to be hard-hearted. We don't want to be proud. We don't want to resist God. We want to be humble. Um, in kind of moving on from that, um, the, the soil analogy of the four types of soil, I think it's a beautiful segue looking at John 15, where we hear that's the passage. I won't read all of it, but it says, abide in the vine and, I'll bear mu- and you'll bear much fruit. And, you know, my God is the gardener and he prunes. Well, let's read it. You're right. Let's go, Ella. John chapter 15. Um, okay. Verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. 
This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I'll stop there. And I said last week, the parable of the sower, I mean, the idea of the four different types of soil and only one type was really responsive and flourished. And you could look at that as like a hearing of the gospel and a receptivity to salvation or receiving from, you know, receiving life in Jesus. Um, And I think that it represents that, but I think it also represents our ongoing life in Christ and our willingness to respond to every word spoken from the mouth of God over us and into our life. How do we respond to each word? And as we respond, so we grow. And I think this passage in John kind of develops that idea that we are in God and it's like another gardening metaphor of, you know, he's working on us, he's pruning us, he's training us, he's, um, we're a part of him. And, and I think that's this, what this passage has that the other doesn't is that sense of we are connected to God. So he's the vine, Jesus is the vine and God's the gardener and he's cutting off bits and he's, you know, our life is in him and a branch, all you have to do to be fruitful is to just stay connected to the vine. Like it's kind of more effort to become disconnected than to stay connected. That's kind of the picture. It's like, you're a part of me. Just stay, stay connected that life, my life and you will all will naturally produce good things. And it, and it said at the start of that passage, like my word has cleansed you. It's his word that brings pruning in our life. So in a similar way to the seeds get planted, the word is also like it cuts off things that are unhelpful. Like so when we hear God's word and he's speaking and we think, oh, I'm, I need to come into alignment or agreement with that word okay and that might mean cutting something out of my life or but again it's God that's cutting it out we don't have to figure out oh what do I need to cut out what do I need to do he's doing that we just need to stay connected to him aligned with him and yielded to his word willing to be taught and trained you know to to go the way he wants us to go and I think to make it a bit practical I think a great example of this is around forgiveness You know, his word says, forgive as I've forgiven you. But maybe we're resisting forgiving someone and we're holding on to that. And that's like a dead branch in our life. And God's saying, just yield that to me. Release that. Let me cut that away from you so that you can keep growing and be fruitful. It's getting in the way. Let's get rid of it. Um, And, yeah, I think that's just a practical example of what it looks like to yield to God's word and let his word prune us. We respond to it. We hear, oh, I meant to forgive. Okay, I'm going to action that. I'm going to release that to him. I'm not going to resist what he's asking me to do. Um, I want to move to an example. We'll look at Luke chapter 1. If you can turn there. Um, This is a great story that is such a perfect example of the humility and faithfulness and and an example of what it looks like to live a life yielded to God and responsive to him and that we can learn from this example. And, you know, it says in Romans 12, it's a great um, story you shared, Dave, about crawling into the altar 
in the offering bowl. It must have been a big offering bowl. But like crawling into the bowl to give your life. That is what the life of a follower of Jesus is. It's like giving ourselves to him, going, you are the creator. I am the creation. What do you want from me? What, what do you want to use my life for? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I, I give it over to you. I'm responsive to you. And like I said, in a world of limitless options, to choose to give ourselves wholly to Jesus is a powerful glorifying act to God. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Wow. What an amazing example. Like What a simple response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. How beautifully does this demonstrate the humility and faith? Like She's humble to go, I'm God's servant. If this is what he wants from my life, I'm ready. And, and the second part, may your word to me be fulfilled. She's heard God's word and she believes it. She's in agreement with it. She's saying like, amen, let that happen. Use me. And, you know, I think it's, it's funny if you look earlier in the passage when um, the angel comes to Zachariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, like an angel comes to him and says, Zachariah, you're going to have a, your wife's going to have a son and he's going to be a prophet before, you know, the Messiah comes and all this stuff. And and Zachariah's response is, how can I be sure of this? Or like, he, he like, he asks for a sign to prove it. You know, he wants like a miraculous sign to prove it. And he doesn't believe it, even though there's an angel there. And then the angel tells him off, says, look, I've come straight from the God's throne room. And if that's not enough for you, <laughs> zip it. And literally doesn't let Zachariah speak until the baby's born. When, you know, and I love it because, you know, he gets told off, he gets pruned, gets rebuked for not being, believing God's word, but he gets another chance. He get you know, he gets a chance to praise God and to get back on track with him. And, but just the contrast because, you know, Mary, and Mary, you could say she asked a question. She, she said, oh, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And I was pondering the two questions and I thought that it seemed like the essence of for Mary was like curiosity, wonder, like, but 
I don't understand how this is going to happen. But it wasn't a doubt that it would happen. It was like, but how will it happen? Whereas with Zachariah, was like, how can I be sure of this? Can you give me another sign? Um, and that's what was rebuked. Not wanting to know more, having questions. And I think, you know, yeah, again, God's not looking for just robotic responses from people. He, he, he's inviting us into relationship with connection. He, he welcomes our questions. He welcomes that um, sense of fellowship and intimacy. Um, Mary, like, she literally yielded her life, her body. She was a living sacrifice for God. She gave her whole body to God for his purposes. She heard his word the word, and believed it. She knew her place as God's servant. She was able to recognize and acknowledge who she was before God and gave her faith in agreement to what he wanted to do. What a word. If every word we heard from him, we say, may it be to me as you have said. And she yielded. It's not just a mind thing like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. or I know. It's, It follows into action. There has to be action that that goes with our faith. It shows that we actually believe when we respond. I, I think it's really incredible. Like when I was researching and preparing for this message, I, I was really, you know, I love words and playing with words and this idea of yielding to God. The double meaning of the word yield is we yield and surrender to God, it yields a harvest in us. And an even greater mind-blowing moment for me was thinking about how, you know, we want to yield to God's word. And God, Jesus is called the word, right? The word made flesh. And he's, his word comes into the soil of our hearts. And when we receive it, when we yield to it, it will produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Mary not only like metaphorically received the word, but Jesus, the word of God, was a seed. Literally, like biologically, a seed planted in her that she enabled to like enabled to give life to she gave her body over to give life to that seed the word of God that became a harvest of righteousness for the whole world and we are invited to do the same to be like Mary to receive the word and allow it to take to flourish and it's not just about Christianity can be confused to be seen as someone that does all these right things, right? That looks good, behaves well, has good morals. That's not what it is. That's not what he's looking for. It's a union. It's an intimate connection with God that allows beautiful things to happen. The fruit of it is righteousness or good living or good choices or whatever. That's the fruit of it. But the heart of it is about a connection with the vine. It's the connection, that that's what it's about. The connection with God, knowing who we are, finding our identity and purpose in him. And the fruit is, a, it's not a responsibility. That just naturally happens. But so often people get focused on, I need to look and do all these things and get busy working to have 
but it's hard work, it's a burden, it's heavy. But as we yield to him, as we know him, as we give ourselves to him in intimacy, in love, it's all about love. His life is able to flourish in us. So I just want to give a little bit of time tonight to maybe reflect and to respond. And if, um, I don't know if Dave's disappeared, but maybe we can just, if you can put music on Riley from oh, my face. Need my face to open the phone? Okay. <laughs> um, but I just want to allow you time to just reflect. Is there something that God's convicting you of right now that... Maybe you're, really, you're holding on to something, you're being hard-hearted, or there's distraction, maybe there's distractions or pleasures or wealth or whatever ambition, whatever other relationships, things that you know are competing for that soil in your heart that are taking up space that God wants to dwell in. And like I said at the start, this idea of limiting our options to Jesus now, a lot of people respect Jesus. A lot of people honor him or have a sense of, yeah, he's God. Or, But not many people really orient their whole lives around him. Not many people put him at the center and revolve everything else around him. He's the sun, and we're meant to orient around him. Everything comes into alignment around him. We worship him. If anything else comes into that center space, it all gets like wonky and throws off everything. Like, we have the honor and privilege of choosing him. One day he will be obvious. He will be revealed. Everyone will see him. Everyone will know. Every knee will bow. But how awesome that we could be privileged to choose to do that before we have to. That we could see him. That we could honor him. We choose to bow down to him. So let's just give a few minutes of worship and uh, or background worship just to pray or to commune with God and to, um, yeah, surrender anything that's on your heart to him. Um, if you want to ask someone for prayer around you, feel free to do that. We'll just take a couple minutes and then... Um, We'll go out for dinner.